I'm Les Chapman. I'm the preaching minister here at Hendersonville. And June and I are missing all of you so very much. We miss seeing your faces. We, we miss hugging your necks. And we pray that God will allow us to assemble together very, very soon. In the meantime, be assured that we're praying for you every day. And we ask that you remember us in your prayers as well. We're in a series called His Story. And throughout this year, we're looking at 52 texts that in many ways define the life of Jesus. Last week, we were in 2 Samuel 7, verses 13 and 14. And in that text, God makes a covenant with David, sometimes called the Davidic Covenant. And very simply stated, God promised to David that one of his ancestors would eventually sit on his throne forever. And of course, we know that that ancestor was in fact Jesus. Well, there were other things that David would say about the coming Messiah. In fact, David oftentimes would write songs. And in some of these songs, he made, without I guess even realizing it, prophetic announcements about what the Messiah would be like. Perhaps one of the most powerful is found in Psalm 22. Now we all know Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But the psalm right before it is a powerful psalm that in many ways tells the passion story of Jesus. You will remember the first verse very easily. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Now you need to remember that this is a song. This is the opening verse of a song that would have been sung in ancient Israel. You know, songs are powerful. They, they oftentimes touch the deepest part of our hearts. And all of our lives are defined by the music we listen to when we were especially teenagers. I think of my mom speaking often of Elvis Presley. She and my dad got to see him live in Memphis when he was just beginning. And of course, a few years later, there was the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. And all at once, you know, the question was, would they be better than Elvis Presley? And of course, if you grew up in the South, what about Southern Rock and Sweet Home Alabama? And then there was a song a few years ago by Pharrell Williams called Happy. And I don't know about you, but boy, we could all use a little bit more happiness right now because of this crisis we're living in. But you know, it's not just popular songs that touch us. All of us, if we, if we grew up going to church at all, there are certain songs that evoke incredible memories in our hearts. All you have to do is listen to the opening words, Oh Lord my God! When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I mean, instantly we think of how great thou art. And then, of course, one of my favorite songs, So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. It's, it's literally one of my favorites. And then almost, even if you're not religious, people know the words of this song. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
Songs are powerful. And all you have to do is hear a line of them and you know instantly what the song is all about. And what a lot of us don't realize is that Jesus was someone who evidently loved to sing. Here is a passage from Matthew chapter 26. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal. Jesus had eaten the Passover with his disciples. He had predicted what would happen and how that that night they would all basically deny him. And notice it says when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives where he would be betrayed. Jesus loved songs. And, and there were songs that I think that were especially meaningful to him. You know, he goes to the Mount of Olives and there he's betrayed by Judas with a kiss. He's then carried in front of the high priest who then basically sentenced him to death. And then the next day with Pilate's help, they nailed him to a cross. And one of the songs that Jesus evidently loved was mentioned, quoted by him, as he hung on the cross. I think a lot of us don't realize that. Here's Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. There's been darkness over the land for three hours. And the text says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It's Aramaic. But it's an Aramaic quote of a song. And, and Matthew goes on to, to translate it, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I think it's important to notice that this is the only passage that we have in all four Gospels where Jesus quotes from the Aramaic and the Gospel writers kept it in Aramaic. There was something special about this quote. And so we need to pause for just for a moment and ask, what was Jesus saying as he hung on the cross? What was he trying to say to those who were there at the foot of the cross? But more importantly, as the gospel writers were inspired to record this, what was Jesus saying to the generations that were to come? You see, the passage that Jesus quotes is Psalm 22. It's a song. Now you have to ask yourself, why would Jesus quote the first verse of the song? Now, it may be that Jesus was simply relating to what the opening verse of that passage said. And I'm sure he was. But you have to also wonder, is there something else going on beneath the surface? You see, in Jesus' day, you didn't have books, chapters, and verses like we do today. Yeah, you had the books. But the books had no breakdown with chapters and verse divisions. And so one of the things you would do in the ancient world, especially with the Psalms, 150 Psalms, how would you tell someone which song you wanted to sing? And the answer is, you'd quote the, verse, the first verse. And so you have to ask yourself, was there something in Psalm 22 that Jesus wanted us to see? And let me suggest to you, that when you look at both Matthew, Mark, and especially John's Gospel, you notice that they go and they pick out things to record that takes us all back 
to Psalm 22. And of course the most important is Jesus' cry from the cross. And so I want us to look at Psalm 22 today. And I want us to listen. What is God trying to tell us in this psalm? Now let me say something that's very important here. There are people who find Jesus under every rock, behind every bush of the Old Testament. I'm not suggesting that Psalm 22 was just about Jesus. What I am suggesting is this. Jesus loved this psalm. He spoke to him. He spoke to him in a powerful way, so important that he shouts it from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. You know, this is a what's called a lament. Laments are a style of, of singing that we're not very familiar with. We, we don't like laments. Laments are songs that kind of look on the dark side of life. I know one of the few laments that we sing is a song called Tempted and Tried. We're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. It's a song that asks God, why? Why is what's happening happening? Basically, that's what Jesus was asking. But I think he was doing more than just ask. He was trying to speak to us through that lament. Many, many years ago, many of you know that when I was 17 years old, I lost an older brother to an airplane crash. My brother had graduated from Frieda Hardman. He was in the first senior graduating class. In fact, he'd been the first senior class president. And the day after he died, chapel at Fried Hardeman was devoted to the memory of my brother. They, they made a recording of it and gave it to my mom, and we would listen to it from time to time. And in that memorial chapel service, they sang a song. And this is the song that they sang. Faith of our fathers, living still. In spite of dungeon, fire, and sword, Oh, how our hearts be high with joy whenever we hear that glorious word. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to you, to thee, till death. Now, to most people, that's just a hymn. But to me, it takes me back and it fills my heart with memories. And I think Psalm 22 did the same thing for Jesus. I wonder how often he sat around a fire singing the song. How often he quoted the verses. How many times he reflected on, you know, how did this psalm speak of what would happen to him when he went to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And so let's look at the psalm together. It begins with this cry of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by, by night, and I find no rest. One of the things you find about a lament is that oftentimes it will ask God these why questions. It's oftentimes quite dark. But then, as the psalm goes, it will turn to hope. And, and oftentimes we'll finish with these words of hope. Psalm 22 kind of goes in and out of lament. 
And so what you have here is this lament that then pivots after these opening verses of saying, God, where have you been? And Don't you know when Jesus hung on the cross, he was feeling that in the deepest part of his soul. He then goes to verses 3 through 5. Yet you are a throne as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In, our in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And you know that that promise of hope had to bring Jesus hope as he hung there on the cross. You know, when I think back about this, they put their trust in you. And you saved them. I can't want, help but wonder if John, in John 20, 31, as he wrote these words after telling us the story of Jesus dying and reflecting several times on Psalm 22, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing that you too may have life in His name. I don't know if that's what he was thinking. But it's definitely the same message. He then goes back to lament. Notice the words, but I am a worm. We used to have a song that we would sing that would say, but such a worm as I. It's since been changed to such a one as I. But it was taken from Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. And it's important that you see what he's setting up here. Look at the next text. Very familiar text, if you're familiar with the crucifixion story. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. And in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders of the people mocked him. He saved others, they say, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. And then again, look at Psalm 22. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Again, you see Matthew, through inspiration, weaving these passages from Psalm 22 into his story of Jesus. But then once again, the story pivots. And it moves from lament to hope. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Don't you know that Jesus, when he saw those words, remember the story of Mary, how that, you know, from the moment she conceived, it was of the Holy Spirit. God had already was with him, even before he was born. And then we're right back to lament. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near me. There's no one to help me. Again, remember what Jesus said to the apostles. Every one of you, every one of you will be scattered tonight because of me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. 
There's no one there to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. He said, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart's turned to wax, it's melted within me. And then I want you to look at verse 15. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. I can't read this text here, especially verse 15, and not think about what John wrote in John 19, when Jesus, in order to fulfill Scripture, simply said, I'm thirsty. Can you imagine being on the cross, having been arrested the night before, perhaps not having drank any water since he was in the upper room with his disciples, and now, all these hours later, I'm thirsty. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. You think about the thieves that were crucified on either side of him. You think about the Roman soldiers who had been so vicious, so brutal, in scourging him, now at the foot of the cross, watching him die. And then look at what Psalm 22 says. They pierce my hands and my feet. Don't you know when they laid Jesus down, and began to nail the nails in his hands and his feet. You, you think, well, he was in too much pain. But surely this psalm came to his mind. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. That's one of the great tragedies. You go back to Matthew 27. And the religious leaders, the Bible says, in sitting down, they kept watch over him there. They gloated over him. He stared at him as life ebbed out of him. And then look at this passage, Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. John was the apostle who, of course, it's also described in Matthew and Mark's gospel. But in John's gospel, John kind of zeroes in on this one. Notice specifically, they cast lots for my garment. They divided my clothes there's a garment that they cast lots for. You turn to Psalm 19. They divided Jesus' clothes up, but one piece remained. It was this undergarment that was woven all of one piece. And notice what the soldiers said. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. I mean, here's John. And John's saying, you want to know what was going on here? What was going on is exactly what David described in Psalm 22. And then we move to the final pivot. Where, where hope just begins to bubble up so powerfully. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, you say, well, God didn't save him. But yes, he did. In fact, you need to read the rest of the psalm to appreciate how he did. 
He goes on and he says in verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I'll praise you. This passage is quoted from Hebrews 2, 11 and 12. And there the Hebrew writer said, this is what Jesus said. Again, going back to Psalm 22, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him, revere Him. All you descendants of Israel. Why? Because God was doing something amazing. For He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. This is a passage we need to really let sink in. I hear people sometimes describe the crucifixion scene and as Jesus is hanging on the cross and how that God turns his face because he can't bear to watch. But will you notice what the text says? He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. No, he didn't take him from the cross, but he sure arose, uh, caused him to rise from the grave. And so, Jesus was not despised. He was not scorned. God accepted the suffering that he offered to him as a sacrifice. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. You get this well up of praise. Why? Because of what Jesus did and because of how Jesus or how God the Father responded to Jesus. I love this phrase here. All the ends of the earth will remember. Here we are. 2,000 years later. And guess what we're doing? We're remembering. We'll gather around the table and we will remember. We'll turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him for dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. I can't help but wonder if this passage was what was on Matthew's mind. As Matthew wrote the response of the centurion and the soldiers at the foot of the cross. Here's what the text says. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Here's a Gentile. Here's a person from the nations that Psalm 22 describes would come to know the Lord. And guess what he does as soon as he watches Jesus' death? He proclaims, Surely he was the Son of God. That's no coincidence, brothers and sisters. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Can't help but think of Psalm 2, 9-11, how that everything in heaven and on the earth and under the earth will bow before Him and will confess Him as Lord. And then the psalmist says something that you got to listen to. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Why does he say that? I mean, why does he say those who cannot keep themselves alive? I mean, I know I can't. You can't. In fact, all of us have a destiny with death. But there was one who could keep himself alive. You know, you turn over to John chapter 10, and, and speaking of his life, Jesus said this, No one takes it from me, 
But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. See, Jesus is the only one who, who could control whether he lived or whether he died. He chose to die, but he also chose to live again. He ends with these beautiful words. Posterity will serve him. That's us. Here we are again, literally all around the world, millions and millions of people who proclaim Jesus as Lord. Future generations will be told about the Lord. That's being fulfilled even today. All around the globe, people are telling the story of Jesus. They will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. And here's the way the psalm ends. He has done it. I can't read that and not get excited. He has done it. And you see, whenever I read that, I think of Jesus' last words on the cross. Notice what John said. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, It is finished. I have done it. He has done it. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And in so doing, purchased my pardon in yours. And so this week, as you just kind of reflect on Psalm 22, verse 1, Pause. Go back, read the psalm. Let it seek not just into your mind, but into your heart and into your soul. And ask yourself, what must Jesus have thought when he sang it? What must he have thought when he read it? And of course, what was he thinking when he shouted it at the top of his voice from the cross? Eloi, Eloi, lama semachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if you know the rest of the psalm, you know he didn't. For he has done it. You see, Jesus did that for you. And he did it for me. I hope that if you have never become a child of God, if you've never put your faith in him, turn from your sins, and been buried with Him in baptism, give me a call. Uh, text me. Uh, email me. LesChapman13 at gmail.com because I would love to meet you at the building and baptize you into Christ. And if you know if you're struggling, if you're struggling thinking, how are we going to get through this crisis? Let the story of Jesus be a story of triumph. Because at first it looked like, wow, this is the end. But it was only the beginning. God worked through the tragedy of crucifixion to bring about the greatest victory in the world. God bless you, and I hope you have a great week.